Do you fear the zombie uprising? Are you prepared to survive what's coming? If you listen very carefully, you might just make it out alive. This is Zompocalypse Now. <laughs> well, this was like Peter Jackson's like third movie, right? Right. I think so. And and so he wasn't really like to the point yet where he's like, I've created something really special here. I need to make this part of the movie. I think he'd probably, he'd been making little films, you know, since he was a kid and everything. Um, the fact that he, on his third movie, he's got uh, th- four, three or four million dollar budget. That's mm-hmm. That's impressive. In 1992, mm-hmm. because he clearly deserved it. Because you know, you can tell when a guy's dabbling and when somebody's not. And he went all in. He was like, "This movie's gonna be fucking disgusting, and we're gonna make a big fucking disgusting movie." That's my impression of Peter Jackson. Is that what that is? Cut! <laughs> Action! Check the gate. <laughs> Well, hi, folks. This is Apocalypse ah. Now. <laughs> and I am Timothy Harvey. And I'm Dustin. I'm Curtis. And welcome to our discussion of a film that goes by a couple of different names. Um, in uh, New Zealand, when it was originally made, it was called Brain Dead. In the U.S., it's called Dead Alive. Uh, and it is one of Peter Jackson's earliest films. This is a film that was made in the same general time frame as Meet the Feebles uh, and some of his more body horror-leaning kinds of things before The Lord of the Rings made Peter Jackson an international star of a director. He made a lot of other films that were... Mainly uh, gross out. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of the ones that a lot of American audiences will know him from from before Lord of the Rings is The Frighteners, which is another horror film. The Frighteners is... Awesome! I yes. I really enjoy that film as well, uh, and it also is a horror comedy. Although it's a different kind of horror comedy than Brain Dead, uh, Dead Alive is. It is a uh, this is a splatterpunk. Yeah. Uh, hey, comedy. before we get too far, let's go ahead and clarify. Um, we are in uh, we are Americans, and so we are going to be using Dead Alive and not Brain Dead. Right. So we don't have to keep going brain dead, dead alive, or whatever. I wasn't planning on it, but that's- yeah, yeah, I've never, I've never heard it called that. I'm fine with it. So uh, the yeah, it's it's probably one of uh, the greatest, just goriest effects laden uh, cartoon as movie movies ever made. Oh yeah, there's just there's no way to actually take this. It, this film is actually hard to review in the sense that if you're going in looking for uh, linear, comprehensive uh, plot development and well-defined characters, um, you're kind of just going to be a little disappointed. That was not the focus of this movie. No, no, no. The focus was there was story, there oh, yeah. was relationships. They had all of that. But it, it, they were interesting instead of what they usually are, which is usually there's college kids who are having fun, but 
this was more like a if you, if you put Norman Bates in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> we can let's here let's take thirty five seconds <laughs> and say what the plot of this movie is. Okay. Uh, Norman is a henpecked uh, mama's boy whose mother runs his whole life. His and, name is Lionel in the film, by the way. Uh, Lionel, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I go. You said you said Norman Bates, and then and that's what uh, happened. Okay, so, cut. Let's do it again. <laughs> Lionel, Lionel is that all that thing, and Paquita, Pepita, what's her name? Paquita, Paquita, Paquita Maria Sanchez. Uh, she is the local uh, shop girl, and <laughs> her mother, <laughs> her grandmother, tells her fortune. And tells her that the, that she's very soon going to meet a man uh, who is going to be her a one and only love, and uh, but it's going to be a little complicated. And the very next person she meets is Lionel, which is weird because I'm, I would have thought that being the grocery store girl and the and a guy that's up the hill, they would have known each other before this. Well, they did. She just didn't pay him. No, never mind. Because the cheese guy who was oh, the one right. that was stirring her loins. Right, but when she sees Lionel today, she realizes it's him. I would just like to apologize for anyone listening from New Zealand for the absolute mangling of your accents that are going to apparently be occurring in the recording. You guys know you talk funny. Get over yourselves. She's a she. She's a fish. She's she's a fish, and she's a girl. She's a girl. A fish. She's a mermaid. I I watch H two O with my kids. And that's how I make fun of it when we're watching it. Okay. Sorry. All right. She's a mermaid. Anyway, so, uh, so uh, Pekita decides that she's her and Lionel are endgame, like just legitimately decides it. Yeah, the most crazy thing that a person can do. They're just like, oh, apparently this is the man I'm supposed to marry. So immediately she's like, Oh, he's so great. Right. And uh, this Crazy. makes this makes Lionel's mother really angry because he she thought that he would be hers forever, I guess. Yeah. And, and she is she is an awful person just from go. From the minute you're introduced she, to her, she is she, a horrid human being. She is what they say in New Zealand. They they would call her a cunt. <laughs> a bloody cunt. They and, call- and they would say that. They would call her that in a lot of places. Yeah, they would. But it's <laughs> especially as well. Oh yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm not saying I don't agree. It's my preferred parlance for that woman. She was awful, right? Uh, and so she follows them on a date the and she, to the zoo, uh, where uh, she is bitten by the Sumatran rat monkey. <laughs> <laughs> A lovely little stop-motion creature who is not remotely believable as an actual monkey, but... <laughs> is But since yeah. everything in this movie is like 100% commitment time, right. you still get a believable scene out of it. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, so uh, this, of course, uh, the monkey is what makes uh, Lionel's mother become a zombie. And then she, uh, then, then uh, you know, hilarity ensues as she escapes and 
bites people and he tries to cover it up and she's declared dead and then there's a funeral which does not go according to plan um <laughs> she does end up yeah there's a scene <laughs> there's a scene he's got to tranquilize her otherwise she's just going to wake up again right she's been tranquilized and she's already mur- she's already murdered she's tried to murder lion to lo- murder lionel and paquita and she's already murdered the nurse uh, whose like head is like not even on anymore, so they bury her. It doesn't take. <laughs> she kills a couple of other people, some street toughs. And all they... of a sudden, then I'll, I mean, like ten minutes later, he's got a zombie family, right? Well, because including cause she... a priest to kick ass uh, for the Lord, Lord. <laughs> and then the rest of the movie is him trying to keep these zombies at bay. And, you know, there's a party for no reason and a crazy uncle. After the crazy uncle, like, blackmails Lionel into giving him all his money, there's no need for a plot anymore. No, it's just zombies attacking uh, Lionel and Paquita trying to survive. And uh, all the gore effects you can eat. Mm -hmm. Him trying to hide his zombie addiction. Right. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and Lionel makes a significant number of very poor decisions. So he does, because uh, he's like, I don't know what to do. I'll just right. try to try to keep things exactly the same as they always have been. Right. Nothing has to change. I'll just keep these guys downstairs, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, it's fine. He's the living embodiment of that picture of the little dog guy sitting in the burning room going, this is this fine. This is fine. Yeah, and his uncle's like the worst, right? Oh yeah, I mean, there's the characters basically come in. You got you got Lionel, who is the sort of naive, um, bumbling, hero esque kind of guy. You've got you know Paquita, who is this bubbly, energetic, sweet girl, sweet girl. You've got an evil mother. You've got a a corrupt and greedy uncle. Uh, and then you got a bunch of people who come into the film to die. And, right. And, or Rita being the most important a, of, of them because she gets a name. And a oh, subplot yeah. about his dad who oh, died yeah. when he was young. That gets wow. resolved in the end and nobody gives a shit. <laughs> yeah, because at that point, the story is basically over. And then they pop in with a little little moment of, like, let's have some story during this part. For no reason. Yeah. And, well, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a scene where where Lionel gets trapped in the attic, and he comes across a in the middle of all of this. Well, all these things are going on, and of course, Dustin's sitting there like, "Yeah, you have time for this. This is a good plan to sit there and go through the photo album." Um, and he comes across all these pictures of his dad with another woman, which is apparently you know his story that his mom told. Blah blah blah. It doesn't matter. Uh, it's it's a strange bit of character development. We, we didn't really need a reason, an additional reason for his mother to be awful. Right. We already hated her. Yeah. I mean, it's one more reason to hate her, but we were already there. So, but then it's just gore. It's all the gore. It's very pink gore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just juicy. Just all kinds of juicy. And, and just like, don't, he's Peter Jackson. Don't, um, don't walk up and just grab a rib. I want you to take out the entire rib cage. (laughs) 
by kind of digging a little hole first <laughs> and then just take it all out. And, okay, places. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that, was, that wasn't blocked or prepared by, by special effects at all. That really happened. Well, I get, okay, there are, like, people in the world who it takes them a minute for people to recognize how awesome they are at what they do, right? Mm-hmm. Peter Jackson's been showing us he's amazing all the time. Yeah, the thing is, career. right? But then they threw money at Peter Jackson, and then people noticed he was amazing. They said, "Do the Lord of the Rings," and he's like, "All right," but I'm going to do uh, all of it except for Tom Bombadil. I don't know. The guy's amazing, right? But I think um, he a lot of. Lindsay Ellis does this great uh, YouTube essay on um, on the Lord of the Rings and what the Lord of the Rings and and uh, and the Hobbit movies did to New Zealand and how it basically ruined their film economy. The they New had Zealand- all that money and all that money, and then all that money was done. Right, and not only that, but you know they were so used to people coming to film there. That they just gave the house away. The uh, they got so many tax credits and actors' fees were cut, so you could go and and you know hire actors for less than scale, less than union scale. If, and you know, just it basically ruined the film economy there. So to make a movie in Aust- in, in New Zealand, you have it's got to be a multi million dollar movie. Uh, or it's not going to get made. Seriously, go. Lindsay Ellis is her name, and it's uh, it is probably one of the best deep dives into a film series I have ever seen. It talks about the Hobbit, how the Hobbit was, you know, messed up really bad, and and it's just great. I really can't just I can't uh, recommend that enough. So after you're done listening to this. Pop over to YouTube and watch Lindsay Ellis's thing. It's amazing. There you go. But this, of course, is long before any right. of these films. This is, uh, you know, a film that that did was made for three million dollars. Did come in under budget. It bombed at the box office. Didn't even make th- three hundred thousand dollars in the U.S. Uh, but it has a one of those films that has continued to have legs. It's like many, many films that are have become really inspirational and, and genre-changing pictures, it didn't do well at the box office. Mm-hmm. The Thing did not do well at the box office. Blade Runner did not do well at the box office. These were iconic films that changed horror and science fiction. Uh, now, I'm not putting this film in the same category as The Thing or <laughs> Blade Runner or any of these big things that you know, completely changed the genre, but when you look at this film and you look at the like, you look at the frighteners, mm-hmm. a lot of the same things are there. A lot of the same kind of sight gags and and you know leaning into gross out humor. And this film was actually hugely inspirational. It was a big inspiration for Shaun of the Dead. Simon Pegg is this is like one of Simon Pegg's favorite films. Well, I think that there's a weird a weird subset of horror fans that when you are talking to them and they will bring up Dead Alive, and if you know what it is, it's like, oh my God, 
like you're now in a totally different club, a totally different zombie club. <laughs> oh yeah, these are not these are definitely if you've not seen this film, these are definitely not your Walking Dead zombies. These are not your Romero zombies. Uh, these aren't even, you know, these these are not fast zombies. These are fast zombies on speed with the gore budget cranked to copious, you know, and, gallons and, of and yogurt. No way to turn them off except for to completely dismantle them. Like you have to cut them into tiny, tiny pieces, or they are going to keep coming after you. There's a whole recurring scene here where the where the intestines of a guy do their level best to kill Lionel again and again and again and again, mm-hmm. which is something you don't see very often. Um, which, right. <laughs> or, uh, you know, severed arms that are still trying to come and get you. Um, I mean, it's every, every part of the body is trying to kill you, and it reaches a point where it is kind of high art in its right. comedy. It's so it's just oh it's over the top in a way that you can't you can't stop giggling. Bad taste was the same way. His first full length feature on mm. at least listed on IMDb. That movie was super gross. Super duper gross. And uh I guess that's his bag. Yeah. Because even even like the Lord of the Rings, there was Shit, there was entrails in that too. Uh-huh. I look forward to seeing what because uh, he's about to direct the uh, the Adventures of Tintin sequel. Oh no! Oh, is he really? Yeah, he is. So that'll be fun to find out uh, how uh, Tintin really dies. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always so funny, like. Tintin is not is not makeable for for modern times, and the fact that they made an original Tintin movie is crazy to me. Well, I, that I've got a... shit is racist. Oh yeah, no question. Spielberg directed that first, didn't he? Right, but still, like how he came across the idea of making it. You know, with without being like, well, I guess we'll just have to stay away from any of the 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 Eastern world so that we don't have to deal with the way that the art was made it, involving anyone from Africa or or the Middle East. Or, oh, see, I didn't know that. I never read the comic book. I just that movie it, was. It's like a lot of things that were produced at a certain time, where the idea that uh, other cultures were. Um, beneath the white yeah. European culture is just built in, and so they and they exaggerated everything. I mean, it literally is. It's deepest, darkest Africa, the Yellow Peril, all the right. all the things. I mean, it's and yet at the same time, it is it's something that had a really big audience, um, and you could see how someone Spielberg is old enough that as a kid, he would have been exposed to that and, and still ended up doing it, not realizing what the issues were. Right. So you come when, if you can, if you can bring that into the modern world, more or less, um, and take out the things that were definitely offensive. Um, and you know, I think from what I can tell, I haven't seen the film. Um, from what I understand, they did a pretty good job of it. I really enjoyed it. It was really fun in 3d. 
that's uh, they released it in 3D, and I have a I have a copy of it. And, oh, that's cool. Uh, and a system that'll play that. And I I enjoy that. Yeah. What do you think the grossest bit was? We've already said the kissing. No, I mean for real though. The on purpose gross part. I am a fan of the light bulb in the back of the head that lights up the lady's head. That was my favorite. That was awesome. And I also like when Rita's head gets pulled in half. <laughs> you know, there's that. Um, there comes a point where the grossness just becomes background noise. Mm-hmm. To be honest. It I mean, does. It does. There's a, there's a level of we've now passed disturbing into farce. The whole bit with the severed head, the top, you know, the top of the uh, that guy's head that kept getting kicked around was, you know, fairly amusing. But the mom at the end really is the grossest thing. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's hard to quantify, you know, because there's so many categories of gross. They, this movie came in under budget, which is amazing to me, because clear they they didn't skimp on the yogurt at all. No, 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 they didn't. But it's also the kind of film that you would think, you look at something like this and you think, you know, you think it's got a really short shooting schedule. It's 11 weeks. Yeah, I mean, it takes it takes a significant amount of time to put that kind of, the dude murders a gang of people with a fucking chain, uh, lawnmower. Yeah. And there's just spray coming from everywhere. They probably did that for three days. Because all the regular dialogue stuff they could shoot in a day, easy, because there's only like eight minutes of it. Right. <laughs> the rest is just gross after gross. Oh, I don't know. I think they probably had multiple takes of I can kick arse for the Lord. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's my favorite line. <laughs> that character should have been in like at least three quarters of the movie before he went. Zombie yeah, before body. he went down. Because that character was great. Peter Jackson is like the Steven Spielberg of gross. Right. And the weird thing about this particular film is that there's not really, honestly, a lot to talk about. We've already kind of discussed what our favorite gory parts were. And the story is so light, and there's no nuance at all in the story. So there's nothing to analyze. I mean, the it's, film basically basically ends with the mother for no appreciable reason turning into the uber uber zombie. Right. She's just this giant, like twenty foot tall, gigantic, disturbing just, breasts. And yeah, giant and, pendulous breasts, big big ass and belly, claws, but still wearing her pearls. Peter pearls. Jackson going, okay, this is great. This mock-up is great, but I need you to make her belly look like a vagina. All right. Yeah. And so be able to open. It's got to open really wide, and then that fella's going to shoot right in there. <laughs> it's symbolic. It's symbolic of returning to the womb. And you yes. know that's not ex- at all what he said. He was like, would that be hilarious? <laughs> if we yeah. got sucked up into a vagina. That uh, that's the thing. This movie's just for fun, and that's exactly what it yeah. does. You know. Oh yeah, yeah. For a film that didn't do well at box office, it's got extremely high ratings. Just about everybody who's seen it. I think that if you're if you're going in to watch this film, you're a have been 
told by somebody going, you have to watch this film. <laughs> B, you're watching it with a friend who sat there and went, no, no, we're sitting down and watching this movie. Yeah. You're going to love it. Or you somehow managed to get a copy of it, sight unseen, have no clue, and you're going to watch it and go, this is insane, and oh my God, this is really funny. Um, and that's about it. I mean, there's just no, you're at this point, you're not going to come into this blind. You're going to have heard about this film. Right. Um, can, can we do, I'm going to do a small segment. It's called Dustin's Old Fogey Corner. Sure. Can I, can I do that for just one second? Sure. It makes me really sad that video stores aren't around anymore so that, uh, someone can be wandering aimlessly through the horror section and not really knowing what they want or, or where they're going and, and see a, see a VHS cassette tape with, with a skull face that has bright blue eyes peering out of it and go, what's dead alive? (laughs) And just on complete accident, uh, without really thinking too much about it, put, take that movie home with them. And experience it in that way of, oh my god, what did I get? What is happening? Because because seriously, nowadays, like me and my sister have been watching Orphan Black. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Titania uh, Masali is in that, and she is, like, she plays 18 characters. She's amazing. She's so good. And so after we watched a couple, of, you know, some episodes this week... Katie was looking her up on IMDb, and so after we watched the the episodes, we went to YouTube and we watched movie trailers for like five of her movies. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we couldn't. It would just have been so interesting and weird to be like in the video store and be like, "Oh, hey, this this has that girl in it. Let's watch this movie." And you know. Oh yeah, this this came out in '92. That was the same year I graduated from college, and we this was you know so '92. There was still a lot of video stores, mom and pop video stores, not just mm-hmm. chains. Uh, and I was living in Manhattan, Kansas. There were like three fairly big mom and pop or indie stores, uh, and we would literally do that. We would walk up and down the aisles and sit there and go, "I've never seen this film before." Oh, look. There's a picture of a disembodied, you know, a skull on the back. Awesome. The and Gates of Hell. Oh, mm-hmm. the Gates of Hell. We watched that was that was a that was a uh, a cover on that thing was so worth renting. <laughs> and yeah. It was the cover, nothing well, else. Well, yeah, that's exactly how you that's exactly how you uh picked stuff up in video stores and yeah. we would grab we would walk out of there with like four or five movies from the horror and science fiction section and one comedy. And we'd sit there and binge those things over the course of the weekend. And it's, yeah, this has got Dolph Lundgren in it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's watch this. Cyber shot must get cyber shot. Look at this cover art. Um, <laughs> but you, you ended up seeing, I, that's how I first got into some of the Italian horror actually is, you know, and that was in, that was in high school, uh, getting into things like, uh, you know all the all the really gory Spanish and and Italian and mm-hmm. yeah. But nowadays, anybody who's interested in this movie is going to be able to IMDb it and watch clips online and and have a hard time finding it because it's not on Netflix. 
it's not on on Hulu or uh, Amazon Prime or anything like that. It is, um, and of course, one does not necessarily want to encourage this because you always want to make sure the the creators get some money. But it can be found on YouTube, right, in its entirety. So you can actually watch it. Uh, and as far as I can tell, it is one of the more uncut versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, because I don't remember the first part where where she decides she's going to fall in love with Lionel by the gypsy old old mother. You know, it's not, like, it's not something you're going to walk away from with this movie. I mean, with from this right. movie, it it is going to get lost in the background with all the fact that you know the sheer amount of yogurt and Pepto Bismol that this film basically has the visual texture <laughs> of. And there's so much. Mm-hmm. Everything is so pink. If they, had, if they had 50 more thousand dollars, they could have got like so much Pepto, uh, Pepto-Bismol. To, I mean, uh, uh, Alka-Seltzer. They could have thrown Alka-Seltzer in on that. It would have been... Mwah. I think they did okay with the sheer amount of gore effects they pulled off here. Now, if this, if this had all looked realistically gory... Um, it would have been too much. It would have been too much. No, the, the, it, the fact that it is essentially a live-action cartoon... It, yep. It, <laughs> it's taken to extremes, obviously, but it's that's what makes the film makes the film work. Yeah, and we're not going for realism, and that was a that yeah. was the right thing to do. I just that's my favorite. It's my favorite mm-hmm. when it's when it's that gross. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why I got into trying to do practical effects for mm-hmm. a minute there, a couple years, I guess. Never got to do anything that cool. Well, that's not true. That's not true because I got to do uh, a play called Pontypool. I worked on the special effects for that. And if you remember in that film, which is a wonderful film, and uh, ironically, that was the first and only production of that play because we based they Cody Wyoming and Mitch Bryan wrote an adaption for the stage, and and I got the gig with my friend Regina and Tabitha mm-hmm. to do the practical effects. Mm-hmm. Well, um, we had to do this. It was a facial prosthetic for Regina when she turns into one of the radio zombies or whatever. Mm-hmm. She uh, is like all zombied out and it's got this facial prosthetic and, and there is a uh, there's a line that's fed through a flat tube to her mouth and a little CO2 thing that she has to set off and that will make her face explode. It just goes big old blood splatter across the window, and then she falls down. Uh-huh. Very cool effect. I think three out of the ten times that she did that on stage, that powerful blast of blood and goop that was stored in a tube in her sleeve went directly up her nose. Uh. Mm. And so she, when she goes down, she's just snotting. It's horrible. And she never complained about it. I would have been so angry, but she was like, no, no, it's cool. I get to do this. Because Regina was all, she was in the play and working on, uh, she's just fantastic artist is all. Yeah, she is. I'm glad she's on my side. Not on my side. In my corner when I need the art help. Yeah. This is one of those films that you know they had a good time making. Yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel 
like if you know if I was looking for something to watch with my kids because my kids are all over my young Jamal's eight, and if I was looking for something silly and scary to watch with my kids, I would honestly at this point not feel bad about watching it with them. It's gross, but it's so over-the-top gross that it stops being scary and it's funny. You're just like, oh my god, he's covered in goop. Well, and, and when, the, when it, the film was going to be released in England, which has a has the, the, the history of the video nasties, right? They were super... Mm. Uh, they banned a lot of, of horror films in the UK, or they released them with ratings that meant that you couldn't actually watch them if you were a teenage horror fan. This was a thing they did for a really long time. They actually almost rated this film a 15. So their ratings are, are you know, instead of R and PG, it's an age rating. They were going to rate it a 15 because they were like, it's so over the top. It's so ridiculous. You cannot look at this film and think of it as, you know, an actual scary movie. And they decided to give it an 18 because they're like, but it's so gory. We can't give it a 15, even though the gore is so over the top. So they almost released it for teenagers, which for the UK at the time would, was still, I mean, the video nasty thing was mostly in the past, but even so. Um, right. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, there's just, I mean, there's just not a lot to this movie aside from zombies, gore, lawnmowers. Watch this movie because what else are you doing? Oh, right. If you want to be entertained, grab a couple of friends. Um, well, if you can social distance or, or do it online or whatever it is. Maybe um, you live with your elderly mother. Maybe you could, you know, <laughs> drag her into a chair into the living room. And I'm not while sure. She's, while she's drooling on a misplaced napkin. Right. You I'm can, not sure uh, I'd want to watch this film with my mother. First of all, my mother does not like horror films, so she wouldn't want to watch it anyway. But. Yeah. <laughs> I relate to this Lionel character because I live with my mom. She is not a horrible human being. She's pretty low maintenance, but uh, yeah. Well, you know, I live with both my parents right now too. Sometimes it's like, why, why can't you be a zombie? When she's asked me to like gather the basement trash like for the fifteenth time, <laughs> mom, I'm, I told I, you not to come down here. I'm a goddamn teenager again. I'm like mm-hmm. sixteen down here. I am building a model Millennium Falcon in my mother's basement. Oh, let's used... be real, Curtis. You could not have afforded this Millennium Falcon when you were 16. No, I couldn't. No, and they, did, they would never have made it. It's amazing. Uh, all right, folks. Well, definitely you should check out this film. It is, if you can find it, like I said, it's on YouTube or get your hands on a copy. If you have a VCR. I bet you can find it on Amazon Prime. You cannot, but you well, you can buy it, but it's expensive. It's like a thirty-five dollar yeah. DVD at this point, which it. I mean, you know, it, which again, back to the time when this film came out, that was about. I think that was a, the low end of a DVD price half the time. So, pretty accurate back then. But anyway, you can you should definitely check it out if you've not seen this film. If you've not seen, uh, well, any of the early Peter Jackson films, um, you know, there's definitely a splatterpunk phase of his career that you should be checking out. Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, you know, The Frighteners, which is not splatterpunk as much, but it's actually a very clever horror film. It is. It's one of the best, it's one of the best horror films. 
ever. That's that's not necessarily a horror film. Well, and it's also a film that did not do well in the theaters for no good appreciable reason, um, and got a lot more buzz after the fact as well. So um, if you've not seen it, then you should you owe it to yourself to check it out, especially if you're a fan of his, his Lord of the Rings films, because if you like him as a director, you'll like him in The Frighteners. So one of those un- unappreciated horror films that is, is worth checking out as well, as is this. So... We encourage you to check it out, and of course, we encourage you to tell us what you think. You can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Twitter, Zompocalypse uh, Now, type that into the search engine there, and you'll find it, and we'd love to hear from you. Uh, share the show if you have the opportunity to do so, if you enjoy this, and you find us remotely entertaining, you can share it with your friends, and inflict us on your enemies. Send us to your enemies, because, because we would like to let them know that you're a nice guy. All right, and you could definitely, like I said, connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you guys. Oh, and just a reminder, that great opening that we have on every single episode of the show, it's been a long time since we've talked about this, but we have the fantastic voice talent of Tom Kane doing our intro. And if you are not familiar with Tom Kane, you are are familiar with Tom Kane. He (laughs) is the voice of so many great uh, animated characters. He was the voice of the Oscars for years the intro to, to the Oscar ceremony was, is Tom Kane. But yeah, as Dustin said, um, the modern version of Yoda in the, the animated world is Tom Kane. He's been doing Yoda's voice and a lot of voices for, for Lucasfilm for a long time. He's also been Magneto and Iron Man and a bunch of other uh, superheroes in animated films. So uh, we are incredibly grateful to have him do the intro for the show. And he did this years ago for us and for nothing because he's an awesome guy so as always we appreciate you listening to the show and we hope that you'll join us again next week dustin thank you thank you tim and thank you curtis thank you tim all right folks thank you for listening again and we'll see you next week with another episode of some apocalypse now Zompocalypse Now is produced by Dustin Adair and Timothy Harvey for Just Some Guy Productions.